I remember when I was in seminary, um, I received a mass mailing from a new church in the area. And I, I kept the card for a long time. I've lost it. I, I looked for it briefly this week and I couldn't find it. But it, it was a card I kept because I wanted to remind myself what I should never devolve into, right? And at the top of the card it said, Cool Pastors and Relevant Messages. I mean, right off the top, you kind of know where their emphasis is. It's on cool pastors and, you know, relevant messages, at least as it relates to preaching, is really code for, we're not going to talk much about God, we're going to talk mostly about you. That's in, in the profession. You may not be aware of that, but when you see the term relative, um, a lot of times this is what it means. It's, we're going to talk mostly about you, right? We're not going to talk a lot about God. We're not going to, we're not going to import theology and doctrine, God forbid, into the sermon. We're just going to talk about how you can use Jesus to make your life better. We've talked about this a little bit the last few weeks. At ICM, we don't do that. Uh, Obviously, we don't have a cool pastor, and he's old. He's getting older, seemingly by the day. Um, and I don't preach sermonettes. You've heard me say numerous times, I don't preach sermonettes. Sermonettes beget Christianettes, and Christianettes end up wasting their life. Because they never have this expansive view of the greatness of God, and they never go out in the world, and they never live like He's God. And so the greatest injustice I can do to you is to preach some small, insignificant, peripheral God to you. You know, you just go live your life. Jesus is just a side issue. Just go live your life. Be healthy, wealthy, and have lots of prosperity. You know, I can't preach that. I mean, I'd, I'd rather go back and do debits and credits than preach that. I can't preach that. It's too small. I can't live for that. Can you live for health, wealth, and prosperity? Could, can you die for health, wealth, and prosperity? God may grant those things, but beloved, I hope we all understand those are not the best things that He, that he grants. God gives us Himself. And as we've been seeing in the Psalms, this is, uh, this is a beautiful and awesome gift that He has given us. We talked about... Last week, and I think maybe even the week before, that many in the modern church, unfortunately, because of much bad teaching, many people think Jesus is someone you use, not someone you serve. There's this caricature of Jesus out there that you just need to add him to your life. He's like a good new sofa or a nice new computer. Or a nice, reliable car. He'll make your life better. He's just something else you add to your life to make your life better. Well, of course, if we've read our Bibles, we understand this is not true about Christ. He's not interested in being used by you. If that's your attitude, He's not interested in that. If you actually read the Bible, you realize that many times in Scripture, Jesus would amass this huge crowd and He would turn around and say something inexplicably hard to them. As one great author said, 
Jesus is not interested in the half-hearted. He's simply not because you can't stay up with Him. You can't go with Him. You simply can't be who He's calling you to be as a disciple. So, we realize, I hope, as biblically literate Christians that Jesus is not someone we add to our life. Jesus is Lord of our life. Amen? That's what Christianity means. I know we talk about Him as Savior most of the time. But if you actually read your New Testament, you realize that He's called Lord ten times or twenty times more than He's ever called Savior. There's this aspect of Christianity that by and large has been ignored or forgotten. He's Lord! We do what He says! Right? Albeit imperfectly. But we are called... To follow him. I love how John MacArthur says this. He says, Christianity is not a makeover. You know, <laughs> again, in many places it just seems like, you know, a makeover. He says, it's a takeover. It's always been a takeover. Jesus, it's a takeover. If Jesus is in your life, it's a takeover. He's not going to help you make your life better. He's going to turn you into a child of God. It's not making your life better. Or, you know, as we talked about last week, in some superficial uh, sense, He's going to turn you into a disciple. And, you know, enjoy the kingdom of God for the remaining few days you have left on this planet. I've been critiqued uh, over the years for preaching too much theology, and I'm going, I go, what? I mean, I have people leave the church. They tell me they're leaving the church because the pulpit is too strong. Um, and, you know, because there's too much doctrine, there's too much theology, and I, I just can't apologize for it. I don't apologize for it. You know, if you have to leave ICM because there's too much theology in the sermon, so be it. Because, listen, you know, who else is going to tell you about the greatness of God? Who else is going to challenge you to, to, you know, be a true disciple? Who else is going to, you know, say, listen, you're here for a few minutes. You know, you're going to stand before your Maker in a few minutes as compared to eternity. The media is never going to tell you the truth. Who's going to tell you the truth? It'll be a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. That's the only place you're ever going to hear the truth anymore. Right? So we have a lot of theology, man. You know, it's like, <laughs> I love theology. What is theology? It's simply the study of God. It's simply how we understand God. It's simply how we think about God. What we believe to be true about God. Man, I need that. Right? I need that. i got to have it. I don't know about you, but I have to have it. I have to have that for my life. The problem in the modern church is not too much theology. It's too little theology. John Piper's right. Maybe you've heard me say this before. Bad theology hurts people. Wrong believing leads to wrong living, which finally leads to condemnation. So, your pastor may be cool. He may not be, but that's certainly not a selling point. God is the selling point of the church. Jesus Christ, the God-man, who laid aside glory and was nailed to a tree to redeem His people. That's our selling point. God has come and He saved us in the most remarkable way. Beloved, you don't need another feel-good sermon. You don't, you, don't need, you don't need to be told about 
your self-esteem. You need to look at God, just like I do. I need to look at God. I need to be changed from looking at God. I want to be more like God. I want to please God more in my life. I don't want some guy to tell me how to be healthy, wealthy, wealthy and prosperous. That's too small for me. I can't live for that. I hope you can't live for that. It's just way too small. God said eternity in our hearts, right? I bring it up, I guess, about every other sermon. He said eternity in our hearts. And only He can fill that void. A theologically accurate view of God will change every part of our lives. Bad theology, pseudo-Christian theology, it hurts people. Unless you're just looking at God all the time. As C.S. Lewis says, you're prone to wander off. <laughs> you know? And how you think, how you live, how you speak, the things you do. People who claim to be Christians, they just tend to wander off from God. Unless we're, we have a steady diet of looking at Him and loving Him and being in awe of Him and being full of wonder as we contemplate His godness and His greatness. Why do people love themselves more than they love God? It's bad theology. If you had biblical theology in your mind, you would never love yourself more than you love God. You couldn't! You're not that interesting! Right? Why do people steal? It's bad theology. God will fill your soul. You don't, you don't need that, whatever it is. You don't need that. Why do people abuse drugs and become addicted? It's bad theology. It's just bad theology. If they would look and pursue God, they wouldn't need the drugs. In fact, they will find a high that's vastly superior to any drug known to man. It's why men look at pornography. And I understand... Recently, I've become aware that women, some women look at pornography. I, I didn't really know that. But if they were looking at God, they wouldn't need to look at pornography. It's why people live beyond their means. They feel like more stuff will make me happy. People go into debt to buy stuff. That's why spouses leave one another. It's bad theology. It's not understanding what God means to reflect in the marriage, which is the greatness of God. <laughs> it's why people hoard money and don't like to give it. It's bad theology. It's thinking, I've got to keep this money for myself. When your father is the... the the, the owner of the cattle on a thousand hills, which is a gross understatement. He owns the whole cosmos. And you're worried about hoarding up money? It's why mothers and fathers abort their children. I don't even know what to say. It's certainly bad theology. A child is a gift from God. If we read our Bibles, we understand. It's why people fornicate and commit adultery and engage in homosexuality. It's bad theology. It's not understanding who made us and for what purpose we were made. 
and to how he and how God means to be glorified in our sexuality. It's just bad theology. You can trace every sin to bad theology. I remember when Karen had cancer and I was in the hospital with her one week several times and I was sitting there and I would have to wait for her and stuff and, and I, I'm just watching all the broken people go by. You know? And I'm going, why all this brokenness? It's bad theology. Adam and Eve believed that God was holding out on them. They believed bad theology the rest is history, so we understand where all the brokenness comes from. Beloved, we don't need cool pastors and how can Jesus serve me more kind of messages. We need to see God, the awesome, fearsome, consuming fire God of Scripture. We need to feel wonder and awe in our hearts and then we need to go, you know, do what we've been called to do and saved to do, which is to be his disciple, the, regarding the beauty and life-changing nature of biblical theology, I have a favorite uh, Bible verse. It's 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Would you like me to display my skills? Do you guys know 1 Thessalonians 5.16? Do you know it, Chris? She's looking at me suspiciously. Rejoice always. It's my favorite Bible verse because I never get it wrong <laughs> to, to memorize. Rejoice always. It's theology. It's good theology. Are you rejoicing in God in, in your work? Are you rejoicing in God in your marriage? Are you rejoicing in God in your relationship? Are you rejoicing in God in your studies? Are you, are you rejoicing in God in, in uh, whatever? Are you rejoicing in God? Rejoice always, the Scripture says. Rejoice always! That's good theology. <laughs> you know, if you find yourself somewhere else other than rejoice always, you realize I've slipped into bad theology. I'm not saying we don't hurt and we don't cry and we don't grieve and we don't feel sorrow and we don't feel pain. I'm not, I haven't said any of that. We do. But as Paul says, we can be sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Amen? Rejoice always. It's who God is. It's what God has done. It's what God is doing. It's what God will do. I think I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. 1 Timothy 1.11 Paul tells Timothy that he is the blessed God. I am is the blessed God. I am is the happy God. He's the happy God. It's one of the hallmarks of true conversion. We, we see it in Scripture. There's this joy that comes. <laughs> you know, a true born-again heart, there's this joy that comes. It's kind of an irrepressible joy. Again, I'm not saying we don't struggle with things. That's not what I'm saying. But there is this joy that cannot be held down, ultimately. As we contemplate the greatness of our God and the miraculous nature of our salvation. I love how Piper talks about Psalm 100. I'll get into the text here. He says, The infinitely happy God is calling His, His happy people to happy worship. Amen? And that will last forever. <laughs> forever. I will read it to you again. The infinitely happy God is calling His happy people to happy worship. I love that. I think that's beautiful. The psalmist says, Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Shout joyfully. There's an exuberance in this command. He's not talking to the merely religious. He's talking to those who are in relationship with Him. Only they can understand a command like this. 
The merely religious can't understand this. What does it mean, shout for joy? Right? Or shout to the Lord. Or shout joyfully to the Lord. I'll get it right in a minute. I don't feel like that. But don't we? Don't we feel like that? Not all the time. But when we're thinking rightly about Him, don't we feel like that? Obviously, Christianity is much more than a feeling. But when we're in that right spot and we're thinking rightly about God, worthy thoughts of God, you know, and if you don't shout audibly, there's that shout in your heart. He's my Father. He's my God. <laughs> and He's awesome. And He's spectacular. I feel it in my heart. I love that, that song. We sing it in here. Uh, Full of wonder, awestruck wonder. Amen? Jeannie Riddle. I forget the name. What's the song? I forget. What is it? Revelation song. We cannot not sing, right? We must sing. So, are you kidding? I preach too much theology? No. I don't preach enough! <laughs> you know, I need, we need to meet here every day and I preach 45 minutes every day, right? I mean, yeah. Shout joyfully to the Lord, the psalmist says. It's a shout of praise and joy and happiness and love and fullness and satisfaction and victory and contentment and excitement and astonishment and amazement and my favorite, maybe, anticipation. And we have the freedom to be who He's created us to be. We don't have to be afraid. We can go out there and be disciples because He is God. This word... Translated shout here, it's the same word Joshua used when he told the people, you go to Jericho and do what? You shout the wall down! It's the same word. <laughs> There's a lot of power <laughs> in the shout of God's people, beloved. There's a lot of power in the shout. There's a lot of power in the shout if you'll give Him the shout. Um, the walls came down. So how much more for the, the biblically literate New Testament Christian? The Lord hasn't simply given us Jericho. He's given us everything. Luke chapter 12. He has given us the kingdom. So, if you're not one given to, sh to shouting, you know, not, maybe not audibly, but maybe in your heart. Um, yeah. I love how one of old Puritans said it. It said, worshiping, and praising Jehovah, I love this, it's no melancholy chore, amen? <laughs> Don't you hate to see people in the church and they're just kind of like, you know, and they come in and it's like, i got to do church, you know, and they sit there and, you know, watch, okay, it's over and I can leave. And then they kind of start to, you know, to come back because church is over. Because it's some kind of chore! Listen, don't even come, really. If it's a chore to you, don't come. You're blaspheming God. If it's a chore, don't come in here! This is a holy place. I know it's a garage. But God has sanctified this garage. It is a holy place. It's where His people come. And when His people get together, He is with us. It's a holy place. If you're bored here, just don't come. I, I want you to come. I love you. I want to have 10,000 people here, but not at the price of we're going to play church and we're going to do sermonettes because our God is too great to, to blaspheme Him like that. So we won't blaspheme Him like that. So God commands us. 
He commands joy. And I've told you this many, many times. Whatever God commands, He gives. You say, well, how can He command joy if I don't have joy? God gives joy. You know the, you know the, great, the great parable, the, the, the man that found the treasure in the field, right? What was, his, what was the motivation of him uh, selling that field and, and per, or, or selling all that he had to purchase the field? What was it? Does anybody remember? The text says, from it's always this way with real Christianity. It's always this way in biblical Christianity. It's always... In biblical Christianity, the root of conversion and the fruit of conversion, it's all joy. It, it, it's all about the joy. Joy is the root and the fruit. I love how C.S. Lewis says it. He says... We are to be seriously joyful and joyfully serious. Amen? Is that who you are in the world? That's, I think, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. I couldn't have said it better. Did you notice that God calls all the earth to worship Him? I think several weeks ago we touched on this, but I couldn't resist. I had to touch on it again in Psalm 19, Psalm 93, Psalm 96, and Psalm 98. Just a few excerpts from those songs, from those psalms. Um, God says, let all the earth worship Him. The heavens are telling of the glory of God. The flood lift, lifts up their voice. The heavens are glad. The earth rejoices. The sea and all it contains roar. The field and all it contains exalts. The trees sing for joy. The world roars. The rivers clap. The mountains sing for joy before the Lord. So the created order is in a continuous and irrepressible state of worship. You can see it out there. I don't know if you can... I, I feel it out there. I don't know. On those beautiful days, you just feel Feel the earth screaming. The genius and the glory and the beauty of God in all His handiwork. And of course, also the meaning here too is that every nation, tongue, and tribe would come and bow before the, the King, the King Jesus. Let me just read Revelation 7-9 to you. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. God will bring His people out of every nation, tongue, and tribe. Verse 1 will be fulfilled. Verse 2, Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful singing. Again, hallmark of true conversion. Joy and gladness. Joy occurs in the Bible about 200 times. Gladness is mentioned about 150 times. This is one way to distinguish true Christianity and pseudo-Christianity. Pseudo-Christianity becomes a burden. It's something I do. It's just something I do. I feel like I have to do it. So I have a burden and I do it because I want to please God. It somehow pleases God for me to grudgingly worship Him. Which of course is just all false. You know, if you have to grudgingly or under compulsion worship God, you don't know anything about worshiping the true God. He'll not receive it. He'll not be delighted in it. He doesn't want it. It's true. Jesus is not interested in the half-hearted. He's simply not. Read your Bible. You'll see it. You'll see it. The true Christian. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, try to stop me from serving the Lord with gladness and coming before Him with joyful song. Just try to stop me. You can't stop me. I still remember an illustration my spiritual mentor gave me in, in seminary. He said, you know, he said, uh, you know, some churches, they invite people to come down the aisle and do those things, and that's all, that's all good. Um, except when they put pressure on people. I hate that. That's wrong. You don't, you don't use psychological pressure to try to make a Christian. God will get His people, right? You just need to present the truth, and God will draw them to Himself. But, you know, he, he, he kept using this example. Like, he said, uh, he said you know, you, you couldn't keep a true Christian from coming down that aisle, man, even if you had a machine gun down front, right? I mean, he had stormed the machine gun. If you catch a true glimpse of Jesus... Yeah. We can serve the Lord with gladness because He's a happy God. He's a glad God. You remember, you remember what uh, Hebrews 12.2 says, for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. He is our model. He is our template. Even in the hard, the hard work that Jesus had to do, there was joy. There was joy in it. Hebrews 12.2 I love how Piper talks about God in this regard. Let me just give you a short quote here. John Piper, famous preacher in the States, he says, Our Heavenly Father's heart is full of deep and unshakable happiness. We may be sure that when we seek our happiness in Him, we will not find Him out of sorts. Don't you love that? We will not find Him frustrated and gloomy and irritable. He's a father who wants, and a Father who wants to be left alone. But instead, we will find our God whose heart is full of joy and spills over onto all those who are thirsty. Don't you love it? Joy is available to all who will come. You say, Jim, I'm not feeling so joyful. Go talk to God about it. Go spend time with God. Be still and know He is God. And He's breathtaking. Do you know it, beloved? Do you know He's breathtaking? In every conceivable way, He's breathtaking! Yeah, try to stop me from shouting joyfully to the Lord. I love, again, Spurgeon. I love how, what he says here. Charles Spurgeon, famous preacher in England, uh, 19th century. He says, you know, as we sing these great songs about God, he says, there is no fiction in our songs. There, 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 there's no fiction in the Christian song. It's all true and infinitely more. <laughs> I love that. Verse 3, Know that the Lord Himself is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. So, do you know He's God? There may be some in here who've merely played religion with God. You know, I've known people, i played religion with God for at least 28 years. Well, of course, I won't, I'll, let's block off my nursery class years. 23 years, I was just a religious man. I showed up. I did church. I did the minimum expected of someone who was supposed to be a Christian. Uh, I didn't know God. He was, just a, he was just a religious mascot. The deal is, know, I like this, know that He is God. I pray that everyone in this room knows that that's true. You can't do verse 1 
and you won't do verse 1 unless the Lord, unless you know the Lord Himself is God. You won't do it. You can't do it. But if you know it, if you know it, you will do it. If you have any confusion about the statement, the Lord, He is God, you will not be able to do verse 1 of Psalm 100. You will not be able to shout joyfully to the Lord. You will not be able to serve the Lord with gladness. You will not be able to come before Him with joyful singing. So, as I've said, we know that Christians can feign. We know, we know that we can come and we can feign worship. Um, but you know what? It's been my experience that folks that are interested in feigning worship and performing for God in some superficial way, they don't stay here very long. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying anything about ICM. I'm not trying to, to hold ICM up in any unique way except to say that, you know, we, uh, you know every time you come in here, I'm going, I'm, going to, I'm going to push you to the wall almost every time you come in here, right? I mean, I'm going to give you my best shot every time because... It's important. It's, that's how important it is. Nothing else matters as much. Nothing else matters as much as where you are with God and how you're living your life for God. Nothing else is even, on the, is even in the same cosmos as that. So I take what I do obviously very seriously. So no culturally relevant sermonettes at ICM, you and I both need to see God. And I know that I bring this, this, this verse up in my preaching a lot. I know you hear it a lot, but it, it's so uh, fundamentally true and foundationally necessary. John 8, 31-32, Jesus said, if you abide in My Word, that's good theology, if you abide in My Word, then you are truly My disciples, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Free? Free for what? Free to shout joyfully to the Lord. Free to serve the Lord with gladness. Free to come before Him with joyful singing. You're free. You're free to worship the Lord as He ought to be worship. Verses 1 and 2, it's not about coming to church. This is not a call to, to a church service. God's not calling you to a church service. He's calling you, guess what? You already know, if I give you a guess. He's calling you to a lifestyle. That's what... That's what the psalm is about. It's a lifestyle. You're supposed to know He's God. You're supposed to live like He's God. He's not calling you to a little gathering that's nice and pleasant. And No, it's about a life. He's calling you to a life. That's what, that's what the psalm is about. He's calling you to, to a life. And I just need to say that with respect to the fact that He made us and we did not make ourselves, I'm, let me just, I just feel obligated parenthetically to say that we know that modern pseudoscience tries to tell us that the universe and everything in it just just happened. Just happened. They acknowledge it's inexplicable, but it just it just happened. It's some cosmic random chance accidental event. Because we are students of the Word of God, we are not sheeple. We talked about sheeple a couple of weeks ago. We're not people who act like sheep. We don't just believe everything someone says. So we're not sheeple. We don't believe in causeless universes. We don't 
believe in fairy tales. We know God made us. And we know we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And not only that, we know He's redeemed us. I don't want to hear your fairy tales. You know, go, go tell somebody else. I'm not going to listen to your fairy tales. We know. Do you see how important it is? It's right here in God's Word. Know that He has made us. You're supposed to know it. It's supposed to really affect how and affect how you live every single day of your life. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. It made me think of Psalm 23 that we talked about some weeks ago. <laughs> we shall not want. Amen? We shall not want. And I will fear no evil. Right? Why? Because I know my God is God. I know my God's the Creator God. If He can speak 400 plus billion galaxies into existence, taking care of my minor problems in daily life, it's certainly not beyond Him. And as, as we saw in that psalm, that great Eugene Peterson paraphrase, God's beauty and love, it chases after us every day. Verse 4, Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. Again, this is a call to a lifestyle. One theologian called it Instead of thanksgiving, he says it's thanks living. Thanks living. This is how the Christian lives. It's this, this perpetual, irrepressible state of thankfulness for everything God has put in my life. Everything. You know, we're such complainers. Aren't we complainers? Are you a complainer? You're probably a complainer. Are you a human being? You probably complain. And, and I challenge you all the time. You'd, you know, it's like we'd rather complain about the two or three things that aren't exactly the way we would like for them to be instead of to try to enumerate the countless things that are just the sheer goodness and blessing of God in our life. We, we tend to focus on this when God is calling us to look at this. Actually, He's calling us to look at Him and be thankful for this and even for this. It's what we've been saying the last few weeks, right? We don't know if it's good or bad or not in our life. Sometimes we call things bad, but wait a minute, God's in it, God's doing something. God's going to change us into bad thing. You know, I've told you I've stopped calling things good and bad. I'm not smart enough to know because in some of the hardest things that I've had happen in my life, God was doing the biggest thing in my life. Do you understand, beloved? This is really... Pretty basic biblical theology. But when we really believe the enemies to co-heir thing, do you guys, you guys got it, right? You were an enemy, now you're a co-heir with Jesus. If you really get that, Psalm 100 will always be in your heart. It will always be in your heart. And Lord willing, often on your lips. I like how Eugene Peterson paraphrases verse 4 here. He says, the password is thank you, Right? For true Christianity, the password is thank you, God. For everything I have, thank you, God. Even for that hard thing at work, thank you, God, because I know you're going to use me, you're going to change me. People will see your glory through how I deal with it. Thank you, God, for the illness because I'm going to honor you in it. Whether I live, whether I die, 
I bring glory to Christ. You know, we thank God. Thank you is the password to true Christianity. I, I just think that's beautiful. Then, of course, we see, we see here, the, the, he says, with praise. Come into his courts with praise. Now, nobody knew, right? Now, what, what was implicit? I'll ask again. What's implicit when we see a command in Scripture to praise God? What's implicit? We talked about it two or three weeks ago. Okay. All right. I'm obviously not a very good, very good communicator. Uh, but let me try again. Uh, implicit in God's command to praise Him, always, when, you read it, when you're reading the Psalms 200 plus times, you'll see pra- it says, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. The invitation there is, enjoy me. Remember we talked about how praise is the consummation of enjoyment? Really, implicit when you see that, that command of God to praise Him, what, what God is saying is, come and enjoy me. I made you to enjoy me. I know you're trying to enjoy many other things. I know you're trying to find your satisfaction and contentment and fulfillment in many other things. But I made you to enjoy me. And as I challenged you a couple weeks ago, you know, you'll, some of you young folks, maybe even some of you older folks, I'm all right. You're still, you still think there's something out there in the world that's going to make it happen for you. It's not out there, beloved. Only God, only God will be and can be your ultimate enjoyment. The psalmist says, bless His name. Just quickly, I, I thought of, uh, of the book of Job, you know. I thought of Job's hard day. And, and you remember what he said, the Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Every day we bless the Lord. Good day, difficult day. A day of leanness, a day of fatness, right? A day of great blessing, a day of trial. We bless the Lord. We bless the Lord. Verse 5. For the Lord is good, His loving kindness is everlasting, and His faithfulness to all generations. So, okay, here's the pattern. I want you to get this pattern in in the psalm. Verses 1 and 2, it's a call to worship. Why? Why? Why should we worship God? Verse 3, because He is God, because He made us. You know, even if you don't love Him, you should worship Him. Because He made you. Even if you don't really care anything about Him, you should bow your knee. Because He made you. Do you understand what I'm saying? But God's calling His people. He says, he says, he calls, calls us to worship. Why? Because God is God and He is the Creator. We know that. We're biblically literate. We go to a church that preaches the Bible, that's not afraid of doctrine, that'll preach the theology, even the hard theology that many people don't want to hear. It makes me uncomfortable. I was raised different. You know, people say, well, I was raised different. I say, well, it doesn't matter how you were raised. I was raised different. I was raised on a small God. That's what I was raised on. That you can manipulate. That you can use for your own purposes. I was raised on that, but then guess what? God converted me and I read this. <laughs> I don't want anything to do with that cartoon Jesus, man. I don't, I just, he, he's too small. I, I can't live for a cartoon Jesus. I want the biblical Jesus. I want to, to, go, to go with Him. Verse 4, it's another call to worship. Why? Because our God is good, our God is loving, our God is merciful, and our God is faithful. 
It's why I started the sermon the way I did. God says, no me, no theology, no biblical theology. And then worship me and live as I have called you to live. So we work hard at this church to hold up God. We preach from the Bible. We have men's Bible studies, women's Bible studies, young adult Bible studies. Karen's in there teaching the children something from the Bible. (laughs) Because you know what? You're not going to get it anywhere else. Nobody else is going to tell you the truth. Nobody else is going to love you enough to tell you the truth. Except a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. There are many who say they believe the Bible, but they actually never preach out of it, or they only preach the parts they like. But as you know, if you've been around very long, you know, a lot of, normally we go verse by verse, and if, if it's in the text, it's the next verse, I can't run, I can't hide. So we preach it. And then that's when we lose people. People go, I don't like that. I say, well, it's not really about you liking it or me liking it. God said it, right? The litmus test is not whether you like it. The litmus test is, do you believe this is God's Word? And are you willing to, you know... Uh, stand God's Word on its head? Are you willing to redefine the Word of God? Are you willing to twist it and turn it as many are willing to do? We must know God. We must know Him. That's who we are at ICM. And you know, if we have two people here, we're going to try to get to know God. We're going to look at God. We're going to worship! Just me and we... Yeah, <laughs> we first started. When we first started, we had like three people. You know? (laughs) But you know what? There's always a remnant coming through Milan. God's always bringing His people. He's always bringing a remnant through Milan that want to know more about Him. Right? And they find their way here. (laughs) And again, I'm not holding ICM up except to say we we seek to have integrity with God's Word. We genuinely do seek to do that. So bad theology hurts people. Um... But biblical theology liberates people. So we don't care about cool pastors and sermonettes. We open up the Bible and behold how beautiful Jesus is. How stunning He is. How spectacular He is. How magnificent He is. How wonderful He is. How awesome He is. And how desirable He is. And we can say... He is better than anything this life can give and He is better than anything death can take. Amen? He's better than every sin. So I confess and forsake my sin in this place every week because my God's better. Doesn't mean I won't sin again, but my God's better than sin. My God's infinitely better than any passing pleasure sin has to offer. So we join the heavens and the floods and the earth and the sea and all it contains and the field and all it contains and the trees and the world and the rivers and the mountains in worship of the King of kings and Lord of lords. His name is Jesus Christ. Jesus says in John 17.3, This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's why we preach theology here. Because you need to know Him. Nothing else in your life matters as much as knowing Christ 
Really knowing Christ. I'm not talking about praying a prayer and being baptized. I'd prayed a prayer at 8 and was baptized at 8. But I wouldn't have given you five cents for Jesus. Really. Until He changed my life, right? Until I caught that genuine glimpse of Christ. I'm, I'm not talking about religion here. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about coming into relationship with the living God. But as I said yes, last week, a heart-quaking kind of relationship with God. So the Lord says to you and I, Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord Himself is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and His faithfulness to all generations. Amen and amen. Let's pray together. Father, we're so easily distracted. I, I'm making a confession. And I'm sure others here could own it for themselves. Forgive us, Father, when we are not truly looking at You. Forgive us when we allow ourselves to become entangled and distracted with things in the world that really don't matter. I understand we have issues we need to deal with. Of course we do, but they all fall under Your Lordship. You're God over everything. Lord, I pray that we would learn to, to know that You're God. And in knowing that You're God, we would live like You're God. And that our whole life would be a shout of joy. For I know my Maker. I know my Redeemer. And I will stand before Him soon. And I will hear those words, well done. Well done. Enter into my Father's joy. Lord, we are all weak and frail and riddled with sin. We are all broken in numerous ways. But You are making us whole. And Father, I pray, I pray that we would be offering up our lives to You fully and completely. For as we do, we will find divine joy, the joy that You have built us for, the joy You created us for. We shout joyfully to You, O Lord. What a great and awesome God. We pray all this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Can we sing Shout to the Lord just a chorus or...